Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Each week, we hear real-time stories from athletes and CEOs on how to maximize performance through an endurance mindset. Let's get started. Welcome to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. Today's guest is an extraordinary individual whose story is nothing short of inspiring. He has competed in a numerous number of triathlons and athletic events, including the ITU World Championship held in Budapest. He was part of a 12 challenge athlete team that triumphed the Dodge Million Dollar Challenge, a grueling 620 mile bike ride down the California coast. Please welcome Creighton Wong. Welcome Creighton. Thank you. Good to be here, Greg. It's awesome to have you on your show. So let's dive right in. This podcast is around endurance mindset and I would love to know how your endurance mindset has impacted your life unexpectedly. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty active for about a good 10, 12 years, uh, just doing races all the time. And so many just happy accidents uh, along the way. One of the uh, lessons that I learned, and I'll give some examples of it, is you are what you are on that day. And what I mean by that is, you know, once upon a time, I was, it was my third time in New York. It was the qualifier uh, to, to the, um, uh, the world championships. The year before, I had just gone to Budapest and got into New York. Uh, I was in probably the best shape of my life, uh, rearing to go. All of my previous um, races had, you know, hit the, uh, the cutoff times and the markers. And literally the day before, I don't know if it was uh, a stomach bug or, or, or uh, you know, food poisoning or something, but just was deathly ill <laughs> the day before. I uh, went out, uh, did my best, tried to race, uh, cut the course short and, you know, called no joy and got my first, you know, DNF. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was a tough day, <laughs> but, um, you know, when I put it against the backdrop of all the other races, all the other joy that I got out of racing, um, you know, we are not what we are on our worst days. And so, um, that was just something I, you know, had to learn the hard way because I am somebody who tends to be very hard on himself and, and, you know, tend to, to, to beat myself up for, for, you know, because that was qualifier in China. And I really wanted to go, you know, as a Chinese American, I really wanted to go to China and race, uh, but I didn't qualify uh, uh, because of the DNF. Um, the other story I'll give on that is we were doing uh, Escape from Alcatraz and, you know, I had a couple challenge athletes, buddies of mine. And uh, boy, we crushed, we absolutely crushed the swim, you know, jumping off the barge uh, right outside of Alcatraz and, and going down, you know, by the Marina Green. Uh, I think my buddy Muhammad got out there in about a half an hour. I was like 32 minutes and uh, the great one arm Willie was 33 minutes. I mean, we we're just, we were flying, you know, and that's a, uh, I think they clock it at uh, one, uh, 1.5 mile swim. And so, but really, what it was, was we just had a great current that day mm. because I went back. I can't remember. It was either a year or two. And, and this time I was in support. So I was, I was, I was helping, um, a friend of mine, Deborah, when she exited the, uh, the water, because, uh, you know, as, as uh, one legged guys and gals, <laughs> we need a little help getting out of the water. And I, I remember sitting on the beach and I was like, 
where are these guys? Where are these guys? And then, you know, Muhammad's coming in at like 45 minutes and uh, uh, Willie's coming in at, you know, 48. And it's just, oh, they had a really crappy uh, 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 current that day. And so, you know, in, in today's world where we, we, we try to compare ourselves so much, it's like, no, nah, I just, it is what it is that day. Enjoy the moment, enjoy the day and, and um, uh, enjoy the race. I mean, it's a lot of fun. The other lesson, uh, and this is a little bit more personal to me, is everybody's got a story. And that's what I loved about triathlon, paratriathlon. I, you know, I, I got a lot of attention uh, as, as a guy running around as an above-knee amputee, missing some fingers, maybe even some marbles in the head. It just, I, a, lot of, a lot of attention because the struggle for me to just make it to the starting line and then to actually hurdle my body through swim, bike, run, and cross the finish line, the challenges are very apparent, right? The, like they're just out there. And, but what I always remember is that I loved the morning when you're setting up, you're getting your, your, your bike, your nutrition, you know, in, in my case, prosthetics, all set up in the transition area. And I always took a moment to, look around and I was always curious like why would you do this why would you wake up at three four in the morning in the freezing cold and you know come out and and um put your body through this and um you know so, some some people they were overweight and never did anything athletic and so this was their their challenge to themselves to to show that they can do something um or maybe they've done, never done anything athletic you know you had the uh the team and training people who, um, uh, you know, a lot of times racing uh, for a friend that either had cancer or had fallen from cancer. Like, like there were so many stories out there, all the challenge athletes like, trying to overcome the daily struggles and, and you know, challenge ourselves and overcome those challenges. I, I just wish that, you know, I mean, here I am getting, you know, written up in the local newspapers and, and, and stuff. And I'm like, I, I wish I could have a bio on everybody and just, just understand like, like what, what motivates you to do it? Because there's only a handful of people that were there to win, right? There's, there's only so many people who can, you know, actually have a realistic chance of crossing the finish line first. Everybody else is just doing it for a personal reason. That's so well said. Um, so I'm curious when you turn that question back to yourself, what, what was your mode? What is your motivation? What was your motivation in those past races? What got you the, the bug to do these endurance races? I always felt like for all the challenges, I was a pretty decent athlete and I, I, I loved competing. Um, uh, basketball was, was, was the sport that I, I really loved. And, and um, boy, you just, you just give me a ball and a, and a hoop and, uh, you know, inside a gym. And I didn't even need another person. I could, I could just spend hours there, you know, shooting around. So as the story goes, I mean, whether you call it God or the universe, like he really wanted me to do triathlon because I'm sitting there minding my own business on a Saturday and, you know, flipping channels. And, uh, you know, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm watching the um, uh, Hawaii Ironman. And in that Hawaii Ironman, there was this above knee amputee by the name of Sarah Reinertsen who kind of had a stump a little bit like mine. And, and um, she was running around trying to complete 
the Hawaii Ironman. And, and then she failed and she, she didn't get it done. And, you know, of course, you know, I mean, you can't watch the, the Ironman shows without sobbing, right. With like, like the Hoyts and stuff like that. But anyway, um, and so ain't no, never mind. <laughs> didn't do anything about it. Um, and then a year later, I'm minding my own business, hanging out on a Saturday, you know, in my apartment. And, you know, I'm not looking for this show, but this show comes back up again. And, and this was the second year uh, Sarah had come back with her unfinished business and, and, you know, she got it done. And, you know, I'm just like, all right, I think somebody's trying to tell me something. <laughs> and so jumped online and um, I, I mean, it was, it was just amazing. Like the, the next thing I know, I'm t- talking to a guy at Oser and he's like, hey, you got to talk to the Challenge Athletes Foundation. And two weeks later, I'm literally at a run clinic down in Del Mar meeting Sarah Reinerton. Wow. Like, it's crazy, right? Like how fast it just happens unwittingly. And, um, and, and I was hooked. I mean, uh, you have to understand at the time, I, I don't really know how old I was. I was probably early thirties, I think. And I had never ridden a bike before. Like we had tried as kids, but we didn't know what we were doing and couldn't get it done. And, um, so I'm learning to ride a bike for the brand, you know, the first time. And that was exhilarating and exciting. It just, um, you know, have that freedom to be able to, to just bike all over the place. Um, hadn't never had a running blade and, you know, it, it just, it was just so much fun. Mm-hmm. And then it came down to let's keep doubling down and just see how far we can push this thing. Like, how far can we go with this? Like, like how good are you or are you not? I mean, and so um it just became you know partly just a personal thing to see how far we could take it a lot of opportunities uh came up um through racing through uh, the challenge athletes foundation where i had an opportunity to really make a positive impact on other up-and-coming challenge athletes seeing a challenge athlete at a, a, a triathlon wasn't was still not the norm there were a lot of times that i was the only one and i have to call the race director uh, bef- you know a week before at least and just be like hey this is my situation you know um yeah i, I don't need a lot but i just you know i need a chair outside and, and then i'll have i'll bring my own handler and all that kind of stuff that was very rewarding too because growing up as somebody who never had a mentor with you know a physical challenge and i just running around life trying to figure it out on my own and so to be able to maybe shortcut for you know, these younger challenge athletes or, or, or make their lives just a little bit you know better that kind of became a rallying cry i mean and even you know to this day i volunteer and try and be a good role model and, and, and mentor to, um, to the challenge community. The most rewarding thing that you could possibly do in life, you know, you know to me, I mean, mm-hmm. if you just, if you're, if you're making everybody's day, just, just a little bit more improved, um, because so much of it's free. You just give a little advice. You just give a little encouragement. That's all that's needed. It's not a lot and it's all free. So why not? I love what you said around making lives of others a little better. Right. There's a tremendous amount of power in that. Going back to your childhood and 
you know, between then and now, or was there something that kind of sparked? Because that's a very positive, giving mindset perspective that I find is is wonderful. Um, was there some point in your life you said, you know what? I got to stop being the pissed off guy and I'm going to be the giver. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I was, I was a dumb kid. I mean, it just like everything was exciting, you know, to me as a kid. Uh, but like I said, I mean, I, I, my, my, my real love and my real passion was, uh, you know, basketball. I, I remember watching, uh, you know, in the eighties, you had magic Johnson, you know, with the Lakers. Uh, I went to high school with our rival high school, um, four years of uh, Jason Kidd. You know, what I loved about the, both those two players is they are players that are known for elevating their teams. They make mm -hmm. the players around them better, right? Because they're, they're assist guys, uh, they're setup guys, they control the pace of the, you know, pace of the game guys and, and, and everything. And, and I, I, I don't know, I just, I, I always gravitated towards, for example, that kind of player, you know, which is a little bit different than, for example, like, just the sheer dominance of a Michael Jordan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shifting gears slightly. Yeah. What, what's your favorite race story? One of my earlier, early races, um, you know, shout out to uh, my buddy, John Bix. We're pretty new at this. He, he was a little bit ahead of me. We're, we're, we're headed down to uh, Alibu, um Triathlon, right? Lots of stars and, and all that kind of good stuff. And um, boy, we were a mess. So first of all, I don't know anything about anything what I'm doing. I, I, I've got like this gigantic duffel bag filled with probably like 15 water bottles and, and, and nutrition and stuff like that. And you, you would think I was holding a luau in there. And um, <laughs> like, we're so late to this thing. And number one, number two, the, the, the parking situation there was awful. And, and they certainly had no room for, for you know, like like handicapped parking spots and everything so so finally he's just like he's he's like look just take my stuff i'll figure out where to park the car i'll meet you in the transition area and stuff like that so now i've got two bikes four legs two bags you know on me you know i've got this little like eight-year-old kid and he's looking at me and by the way the transition's like a mile away too and where i've got to go to and he's like what do you do you need a little help it's like yeah, it's like, you know, so, so now I got, now I've, I've commandeered this, this kid to help me in there. We're not even into the transition area yet. Right. And I'm getting blasted too, because I'm like, I'm just carrying all this stuff. Right. Like, just, and they're kicking everybody out of transition. They're like, oh, you got to clear the transition. We're not even in there yet. The whole transition's cleared and I roll in there. I don't even know where John is. He's still parking the car. And we don't have time to do anything. Can we just throw our stuffs down? You know, probably, uh, probably all the other challenge athletes were always pissed off at us because we just made a mess. We just threw everything down. And then we got to get out of there. And so I just grabbed my, um, uh, uh, my wetsuit. And now we got to go way the heck over there because that's, that's where the, the, the swim started. <laughs> so John shows up and we're like, dude, we got to go. So I don't even think... I don't even think he put on his wetsuit. I think he, I think he just went in wetsuit. I mean, it's whatever. It's Malibu. Um, I get into the transition area and, and everything. And, and I don't know. We've got like three volunteers like putting, putting the wetsuit on me. 
And, and then, I don't know, I slapped my prosthetic outside of the wetsuit and well, we got to go. Like, like they're about we're two minutes away from the firing off the gun. And then I just found another random kid down there. And I was like, look, I need your help. He's like, he's like, he doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm like, I'm about to jump in the water here. I need you to take this leg. And I just need you to meet me over there at the finish so that I can have a leg to walk out and make it from, from the, the ocean up to the uh, transition area. So we got this random kid. I'm just trusting him with my prosthetic that I cannot walk with without. Um, jump in the water. And much to my credit, I was the first challenge athlete outside to get exit the water. Like, like had a tremendous swim, found my guy, got my leg, and we jump into the um, transition area. And so um, I think this was like my second triathlon ever. And I had just learned how to ride a bike. I didn't even know how to change gears going up and down hills. And there's like, there's like a hill coming out of, coming out of the transition. So I don't somehow hammered that. And so it's an eight, it's a shorter bike. It's an 18 mile bike and I'm flying down the, you know, I, whatever we got in now I'm flying down. I'm good. Six, seven miles in, you know, almost, almost to the turnaround point. And, um, I look down and all those water bottles I slept, I didn't put a single one of them in my bike. So now I've got no hydration on this 18 mile bike ride. And I'm like, what am I doing? So I, I flipped around. I did the turn. I'm coming back. I saw somebody. I, th I think they were like selling Cokes on the side of the road. I'm like, can I get one of them? So I just pull the bike over to the side, throw down, throw down like Coca-Cola. And then I start riding, drafted off a of JLo for a little bit. And then, you know, somehow finished that bike. God, I hated that run because it's a sand, it's sandy, it's slippery. Um, prosthetics and sand don't go well, you know, with each other. And uh, we somehow finished it. And if you want to look up my result, you can't because in the chaos of getting my wetsuit on, <laughs> the timing chip didn't make it onto the body. <laughs> so it's like, there's no proof. There's no proof that any of this happened. <laughs> That's so awesome and relatable in many different ways. Yeah. My, one of my favorite stories, I was at uh, the Half Ironman in Maryland. Okay. Standing there listening to the national anthem and I look down and I don't have any bike shoes. And as you know, you like you clip into these bike pedals. Yeah. And I'm like, how am I gonna do a 56 mile bike without shoes? No, like that's luckily, all quads. Right. Luckily my wife was there and I was like, Hey, can you run back to the hotel and then sweet talk somebody to put this next to my bike? And luckily when I came out of the water, it was there, but I couldn't oh. even imagine like that late oh. feeling that you had. And just all those bits and pieces, but that's the magic, right? That's the magic of these, of this, the these of stories. It. I mean, we were, you know, we were idiots, you know, we, we had no idea what we were doing. The funny part was, uh, the next race that we were doing was Alcatraz, no, not Alcatraz. Um, what's the, other? uh, Treasure Island up there in the Bay area. And John was coming separate. I was coming separate. But based on what happened in Malibu, we were literally the first two athletes to show up at that race. Of course. <laughs> like, we weren't going to do that again. So, Creighton, thousands of people must come to you and say, how do you do it? 
what's your response? What's your, what's tends to be your response to that question? How do you do this? You know, I mean, it's, I, I was only half joking about missing a few marbles. I mean, it, it's, it, ta- it does take a little bit of, you know, of, of, of craziness, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many reasons why, I mean, you could sit there and talk about, uh, you know, just the challenge, you know, the personal challenge, um, uh, you know, maybe even a little bit of responsibility to, to the next generation. I mean, ridiculous. These, these kids, these kids that, uh, were kids when I was doing it, like they're all grown up, they're all faster, they're bigger, stronger, faster, you know, hopefully you, you sit there and go like, ah, oh, we did something to help, you know, help them along. Um, you know, and everything, some of it, some of it's just the, uh, uh, the rush. I mean, it's such a rush to do it. Uh, you know, you just, you literally just get high every time. <laughs> and, um, you know, and some of it's the, uh, uh, the community and the camaraderie. I, I mean, one of my favorite things was, was always to, uh, every Tuesday night, um, I'd he- head over, uh, to, um, to the parents' house because, uh, PacWest athletics had their, uh, uh, track training down at uh, Piedmont High, and so uh, you know that was that was Tuesday night. You know, I'd head over there, go to track training, and then you know have dinner at the parents, and like like that was a lot of fun, both from the community standpoint, see some family, and you know, and all that kind of good stuff. So it was just a great um, overall lifestyle. I think that um, one of the other things that I really liked about racing was. The triathlon community is just so supportive. Like everybody just has that can-do attitude. So it makes it really easy for you not to slip it out of ever having that can-do attitude. I remember I was, I was just at a clinic. I was at a clinic, uh, escape from Alcatraz. This is before I had my prosthetic, right? So I just, I just learned, you know, about the Ch- Talon's Alcides Foundation. I didn't have any of the gear to start running. So I just showed up, right? you know she's meeting me for the first time and she's like if you need anything you need to get into a race you need to you know need support at a race it's like you just call me you just call me and you let me know we'll we'll get you taken care of i mean it was like i'm not even ready to race like i can't like i haven't even learned how to ride a bike yet. Mm. and and just just the openness and the kindness was was very overwhelming take us back to um your childhood tell, tell us your story like give the audience a little bit more understanding of who you are and what and what you've been through yeah um so i'm what's referred to as a congenital um you know amputee which is fancy for saying i was born you know born like this there were tough things as a, as a kid I, mean, I remember we would have to drive out all the way into the depths of uh, san francisco to go you know see my original prosthetist out there and it was it was a long trek the technology wasn't where anywhere close to what it is now, right? Like, I mean, now we got like microchip, um, microprocessor knees, uh, you know, and everything. And there it was, it was basically just like a door hinge mm. that would flatten out at, at 180 degrees. And, and, um, and, and literally like when you grew, right. Cause I was a kid, you grow and it's like, oh, they just put the boards, you stand on the boards. And they measure you. Okay, it's uh, you're a quarter inch taller, and then they would literally just shove a quarter inch piece of wood into the leg to make it longer. I mean, that's that's how they did it back then. And so, just the old school technology, just like it's come, it's come so far. And then, um, 
boy, I think it was, yes, yeah, fourth grade. It was fourth grade and uh, summer after fourth grade. Uh, and then I had a pretty major surgery. My stump, it was kind of curved like a sickle. And so what they wanted to do was basically break the bone and reset it so that it would be straighter and longer. Uh, the purpose behind that being that if it's a longer lever, you have more control over. And then also by having it straighter, um, much easier to build prosthetics around that. Um, but that also meant that here I am at the height of my childhood powers, wanting to run around the entire summer. And I literally spent the entire summer in a body cast. The good fortune um, about it was, you, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of great um, kids and classmates and neighbors. And so, uh, unfortunately, the summer wasn't boring. Somebody was always coming over to hang out and, you know, play cards, play video games, uh, you know, have lunch, what have you. So, so it, it certainly wasn't a, a lonely, sad summer or anything like that. But it, it um, but boy, just to be cooped up like that when you've got a lot of energy to burn as a fourth grader was, was very, um, you know, it was very tough. And then, um, yeah. And then, like I said, I just, I love, you know, I always, I always love sports. Um, we would go down after, after school, whether it was grade school or, or, or high school and, um, come back from high school. Class ended at three and we were always down at the, the, the local schoolyard by four o'clock play hoops until dinner. <laughs> we just, just go play hoops until dinner, uh, come back and, you know, have dinner and then try and do a little homework and do it all again the next day. So talk what are you doing now? What, what's your daily life now? Are you training for something? Give us a sense of what's going on today. No, no. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately I, I, I'm not training a lot. Uh, I, I decided to, uh, uh, pack my bags and, uh, do the digital nomad thing. And so, you know, I've been, uh, uh, traveling around Southeast Asia and, and, and uh, running a digital marketing business. And so that sucks up most of my time. Um, we're doing this call from Ho Chi Minh City, uh, Vietnam at the moment. Just needs a pair of running shoes to go on a run and to not have, you know, to gear up um, because traveling with all that gear is, is um, it's tough with the running leg, but, um, it's, it's close to impossible on a regular basis, especially with the, um, the bikes, because I've got a custom prosthetic with that as, as well as, um, uh, the bike is customed mm. because e even the, you know, you were talking about the pedals, the pedals are pretty easy to figure out, but, um, the hand, you know, controls um missing a few digits um like we had to really put in some time to solve those problems sure solve those issues you you mentioned being a digital nomad are you on a never-ending quest being a nomad or are you like have some sort of planned cycle to come back to wherever home could be 
we're working on it. Um, we do have plans. Uh, you know, my wife's a Vietnamese national. I get the sign off from immigration and, you know, we'd like to uh, come back to the United States um, for a bit. And, uh, but I could see myself uh, being a nomad within the United States because even though she's never stepped foot in the United States, like I like I've got limited experience with some of the places, right? Like I've, I've been places on the weekends and stuff like that, but not, um, not living there. And I love living in different places. It was great fun. So I could see, I could see a scenario where, you know, we city hop for a while mm. and, um, just try to explore, you know, new and interesting places. Well, when you're ever, you're in my area, please look me up. Um, I would love to talk about your digital marketing experience and what you're, what you're doing in that space. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really a lot of, um, I, I, I come from a little bit of a broker, you know, mentality. And I also come from the mentality of just do what's best, do what's best for the client. And so I don't really take it as a digital marketing. I, I take it more as like a consultant role. And I want to understand what the person's uh, uh, business is. And I want to understand what their personal um, wants and goals and vision and all that kind of good stuff, values are, what's their why, and, and where they're trying to grow um, their business. Is it a small business? Is it a big business? Is it uh, a brick and mortar? Is it, um, you know, online only? And, and so I get really intimately involved in understanding the business side of things. And then from there, um, I educate them on the different solutions that I think would be valuable uh, to them. And if I happen to have that solution in house, uh, then I'll, I'll present, uh, the solution that, that I have in house. Um, but I've also just created this incredible network of, of partners that if I think one of my partners is a better solution, they're like, let me introduce you to this guy. Like, like, I think this is going to be a better fit because um, he specializes in your sector with exactly what it is you're trying to do. And he's created products surrounding exactly what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So I think it would be more valuable for you to, 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 you know, meet with him. And then the reality of it too, is there's a lot of, um, businesses where just maturation, uh, uh, size, um, type, uh, they're just not ready. They're not ready for digital marketing. So, uh, if I sense that you do two things, um, the, the first is to sort of give them a light, uh, you know, of where to head to, um, number one, it's like, you're not ready today, but you might be ready in six months, maybe two years. Um, and then a lot of times I'll end up just, I guess, kind of doing pro bono consulting with them and say, Hey, look, 
here's what you can do from a DIY standpoint, because it's going to A, be more effective and B, you know, keep your costs, you know, keep your costs lean. And so again, it's just, it's, it's just a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge and just do what's best for the client. Certainly. What's an indicator that somebody is ready for a digital marketing push effort working with somebody like you? Um, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, for, for one, it's uh, the maturation of the business. I mean, has the business been in, in business a couple of years or is it a, is it a brand new startup? <laughs> and so I talked to some of these startups and I'm like, okay, you need me and you don't need me, right? What do you mean by that? Well, you need to go out and get some funding because you, you don't have any revenue coming in and you need to actually like uh, uh, grow things out. But you, so you don't need me because you, you can't afford anything, let alone me, right? But, but then you do need me because if you're going out uh, for funding, you know, which I tend to make a lot of introductions for, um, part of that funding is the use of funds. Part of that use of funds needs to be how you're going to, how are you going to grow your business? And therein lies marketing. So let's have a conversation to say, Hey, look, this is what you can realistically expect to spend. So when you're going out to raise capital or get funding or grab a loan, this is what you need to, you know, put in your mindset. Hey, if you need two years, two years worth of marketing, then, okay, well, what's that's 24 you know, 24 months times a per monthly basis, mm -hmm. right? And it also depends on what, what strategy is really the best strategy because um, if, the, if you're going to use paid advertising, Google AdWords, Facebook ads, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, you could, you could spend as much as you want. <laughs> right. So it just, you know... Um, but I, I've, I've had clients too, where, um, you know, we do a bang up job only to find out that, uh oh, they don't have the infrastructure to actually handle all the new leads. And so it's like, oh boy, we got to pause this thing and, um, you know, kind of reevaluate things really quickly. Yeah. The, the funnel's not quite big enough for it's, the, it's for the hose to pour into. It's, it's not. We got this one group. I think we turned the spigot on and over the weekend got them like 12,000 leads or something like that. And they're like, yeah, we need, like, we need to shut this thing off. Number one, because it's going to take us two and a half months to actually like deliver what we promised all these people. And it's like, oh, all right. <laughs> what are you going to do? That's awesome. So Graydon, how can audience members get in touch with you? I'm, I'm easy to find, but I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So uh, you just type in Creighton Wong or, or I mean, I think it's just LinkedIn.com backslash Creighton Wong. So, you know, um, if you want to want to reach out to me and say hi, I found you on Gray. You know, it's like, like, I don't know where you're coming from. We'll um, include your know, links to your socials and your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. Well, Creighton, it's been great having you on the show. You know, I, I love your positivity um, and our conversation around doing just a little bit more for others and, and how that sort of lifts us. Um, I also appreciated what you said early on about 
you are what you are on race day. And it's not about all the conditioning. It's not about your training. It's just, it is who you are when you, you tow that first line, you tow that starting line and whatever conditions are there or how you feel. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah, and it yeah. really changes mindset of allowing you to sort of enjoy the day when it's not your personal best. And so I appreciate those insights. Yeah. Uh, you just and let message- it, let it unfold, you know, I mean, and, and, and I think we all definitely myself, I'm preaching to myself right here is saying that, um, you know, to try and be a little bit more present minded and enjoy the moment. Very well said. And, um, to our audience, you know, there's a lot of great content and value out of our conversation today. And we ask that you share that with your friends and your family, spread the word for this podcast that can grow so that others can be influenced and, and touched by this positive energy. So again, great. And thank you again for your time and energy and your storytelling. Um, it's great connecting with you and I look forward to seeing you someday soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll, uh, I'll dust off the old prosthetics and, and we'll we'll do a race, line up on race day someday. I'd love that until you <laughs> kick my butt, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll see. These bones are these bones are getting old. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thank you for tuning in to the Chief Endurance Officer Podcast. To hear more inspiring stories and strategies around the endurance mindset, be sure to subscribe below or visit us at chiefenduranceofficer.com. Until next time, keep pushing those limits.